If your happy ending is no more joint pain, please try Sierra Sil with a money-back guarantee. It's all-natural joint pain relief that's changed our lives. Sierra, like the mountains, and Sil, like silicon. Go to sierrasil.com. Use the code DRIFT for 10% off. Hello, I'm Erin, and welcome to Drift. Made possible by Envy Pillow my sleeping beauty for over 20 years. The Canadian-designed, copper-infused Envy Pillow aligns your spine and neck and prevents those lines that sleeping on our face brings. Learn more in the morning at Envy, E-N-V-Y, pillow.com. As good for you as it is Mother Earth. Tonight, we're going to take you to 14th century England, not so very jolly at all if you were an impoverished boy but this is a tale that will warm your heart if you happen to have a cat or two snoozing at your side as you share this time with me they'll be especially interested in the story of Whittington and his cat such a well-known and loved tale that it has been turned into pantomime, song, puppet shows, and, of course, legend, even statues. May we do it proud here tonight in this version, reimagined by Anita Reynolds MacArthur, just for you and Drift. Before we do, though, allow me to usher you into a state of comfort and contentment, one that a cat seems to have been almost born into we'll just stretch out a little arms straight with your fingers outstretched too if you're able like a cat flexing her paws and claws now relax do the same with your legs stretch them if you're able point your toes and then let them go feeling the relief with the perfection of such idleness. Let your body feel heavy in your bed, your head in that perfect spot on your pillow. And don't forget to release the hold that your neck has on your head. It never seems to want to let go, does it? Then your jaw, your hips, your eyelids, your lips... And if you're ready, take one deep inhale and exhale and let's drift. A very long time ago, when King Edward III reigned over England and was Lord of Ireland, there was a young orphan boy called Richard Whittington. Sweet Richard was not old enough to work, so he was forced to beg or forage for every meal. He ate scraps for dinner most evenings and sometimes ate nothing at all for breakfast. Poor Richard was left to fend for himself most days. Once in a while, a villager took pity on the young lad. They would leave parings of potatoes, 
and a chunk of hard, crusty bread on their doorstep, with a note that read, for Richard, one sunny day, a large white wagon and eight horses, all with bells adorning their heads, drove through the village. Richard watched as each majestic beast trotted down Main Street. He thought this wagon must be going to the fine town of London. He'd heard London was a magical place where everyone was happy, where people sang in the town square all day long and danced on streets paved with gold. He mustered up his courage and politely asked the driver to let him ride in the wagon for the journey to London. The driver took pity on the poor orphaned boy with ragged clothes. He told Richard, hop on up, and off they went together. After a full day and night of being jostled back and forth and side to side in the wagon, Richard arrived safely in London. He was so excited to see the streets paved with gold with his own two eyes that he forgot to thank the weary driver. Instead, he ran off as fast as his thin legs would carry him. When I find those streets paved with gold, I'll plop myself on the side of the road and chip little bits of the pavement, thought Richard to himself. He knew this plan would provide him with as much money as he could ever wish for. Poor Richard ran till he was exhausted. It had grown dark and the air had turned chilly. Every way he turned, he saw nothing but dirt instead of gold. He slumped down in the dark corner of an alleyway and cried himself to sleep. The next morning, Little Richard woke up starving. He couldn't remember the last time he ate anything. Oh, how his stomach growled with hunger. He got up and walked about. He asked everybody he met to give him a halfpenny to keep him from starving, but barely anyone stayed to answer him. Only two or three gave him a halfpenny, which was most certainly not enough money to buy food to fill his aching belly. He continued to ask charity of several people, and one of them said crossly, go to work, you idle rogue. That I would, replied Richard. I will go to work for you if you will let me. But the man only cursed at him and walked on. At long last, a good-natured looking gentleman noticed how hungry poor Richard appeared. Why don't you go to work, my lad? He asked. That I would, but I do not know how to get any, answered Richard. If you are willing, come along with me, said the gentleman. He took Richard to a hayfield, where the boy worked briskly and lived merrily till all the hay was made. The kind gentleman had no more work for him, so young Richard found himself as badly off as before. Being almost starved once again, he found himself feeling weak. He laid himself down at the door of Mr. Fitzwarren, a rich merchant. Now the man's cook, who was an ill-tempered creature, found Richard curled up by the front door. She was very busy dressing dinner, 
for Mr. and Mrs. Fitzwarren. Richard glanced up to find a heavy-set woman glaring down at him. She wore a dirty apron, her messy hair was held in an excuse for a bun, and her face was flush with beads of sweat multiplying along her hairline. What business have you there, you lazy rogue? She sneered at poor Richard. There is nothing here for beggars. If you do not take yourself away, I'll pour some filthy dishwater over your head. That'll make you move. Just then, Mr. Fitzwarren came home. As he walked towards his front door, he saw a dirty, ragged boy cowering. Why do you lie there, my boy? He asked. You seem old enough to work. I am afraid you are inclined to be lazy. No, indeed, sir, said Richard to the man. I would work with all my heart, but I do not know anybody, and I believe I'm very sick. I can't remember the last time I had food. Poor fellow, get up. Let me see what ails you, replied Mr. Fitzwarren. Richard tried to rise, but being too weak to stand, he slumped to the ground again. The kind merchant ordered him to be taken into the house. He made sure Cook prepared a good dinner for Richard. In return, Richard would help Cook with whatever she needed doing. Young Richard would have lived very happily with this good family, had it not been for the ill-natured Cook. You are under me, so look sharp, she snapped. Clean the spit and the dripping pan make the fires, wind up the jack, and do all the scullery work nimbly or... And she would shake her rolling pin at him. She was so fond of bossing him around. Poor Richard became a shell of his former self. He never smiled and never looked anyone in the eye. Miss Alice, Mr. Fitzwarren's young daughter, who was herself about Richard's age, caught wind of Cook's mistreatment of Richard. She gave her a good scolding and warned the cook that she should be turned away if she did not treat Richard with more kindness. Thankfully, Cook's behavior got a little better. But Richard had yet another hardship with which to contend. He slept in the attic, where rats and mice liked to store their food, some nights, the rodents were so busy running to and fro, Richard barely got a wink of sleep. The boy had managed to save a few pennies from cleaning men's shoes on Sunday mornings before church. Perhaps he could buy a cat with his earnings, he thought. The next day, he spotted a girl with a cat and asked her, Would you let me have that cat for a penny? Yes, said the girl, but be kind to her, for she is an excellent mouser. Richard took his feline friend home and hid her in the attic and always took care to carry a part of his dinner to her. In a short time, he had no more trouble with the rats and mice. In fact, he slept quite soundly each night, thanks to Miss Kitty. It wasn't long before Mr. Fitzwarren had a ship ready to sail. 
since the merchant had kindness in his heart, it was his mission to see that all of his workers should have some chance to share in the good fortune, and therefore should send on to the ship something that could be sold, reaping each individual financial rewards and some economic security. So he called his workers into the parlor and asked them what they would offer to sell on this venture. They all had something they were willing to part with, and one by one they handed over their precious items, except for poor Richard. He had nothing and therefore could send nothing. Miss Alice felt sorry for the poor little orphan boy. I'll lay down some money for him, she told her father, from my own purse. Oh, this will not do, replied Mr. Fitzwarren, for it must be something of his own, something of value to him. When poor Richard heard this, he said, I have nothing but a cat, which I bought for a penny some time ago from a little girl. She is a marvelous mouser, my girl Miss Kitty, and might be well worth her weight in gold, sir. Fetch your cat then, my lad, said Mr. Fitzwarren, and let her go. Richard darted upstairs and brought down his sweet Miss Kitty. He'd grown quite fond of her, and with tears in his eyes, he gave her to Mr. Fitzwarren to give to the ship's captain. Once again, he said with a sniffle. I shall be kept awake all night by the rats and mice. All the workers laughed at him. Miss Alice, though, who felt pity for the boy, gave him some money to buy another cat. Oh, but that subtle kindness shown by Miss Alice made the ill-tempered cook envious of poor Richard, and she began to pick on him once again. Richard made up his mind. He would not be bullied any longer. So he packed up his few things and left the merchant's home. On a chilly November morning, he walked as far as Holloway before stopping to rest his feet. And he sat down on a spot, which do you know to this day is called Whittington's Stone. Which road should I take next? He pondered. And while he sat on the stone thinking about what he should do next, the bells of Bow Church which at that time were only six, began to ring. Their sound seemed to say to him, Turn again, Whittington, thrice Lord Mayor of London. Giving his head a quick shake, Whittington said, Lord Mayor of London? Why, if my fate is to be Lord Mayor of London some day, then I would be smart to put up with almost anything now. Oh to be able to ride in a fine coach when I grow to be a man. Well, I best get back to the merchant's house and think nothing of the scolding from the old cook, for I will be Lord Mayor of London when I grow up. Richard jumped up from the rock and ran back to the house as swiftly as his feet would take him. Fortunately, he made it back before anyone had noticed that he had gone. He immediately set about his work before the old grumpy cook came downstairs. Now we must follow Miss Kitty to the northern coast of Africa. The merchant ship with the cat aboard was a long time at sea. 
At last, it was driven by the winds to Barbary Coast, a tropical region now known as Morocco. The people of the land came in great numbers to greet the sailors. As they became better acquainted, all were very eager to buy the fine things on board this foreign ship. The king learned that a big ship had docked. He summoned the captain to bring samples of his wares to the palace. The captain arrived with some of his crew. They were ushered into a very large room with rich tapestries that hung on the walls and carpets that were flowered with gold and silver, covering the floor. The group bowed upon seeing the king and queen, who were at the opposite end of the opulent room. Then they proceeded to place all they had brought onto the luxurious carpet. The king invited the captain and his crew to stay for dinner. A raft of dishes was brought in by workers. They had just begun to eat when a vast number of rats and mice rushed in and devoured all the meat in an instant. The captain wondered if this was a regular occurrence and asked if these vermin were not unpleasant. Oh, yes, said the queen, offensive and the king would give half his treasure to be freed of them. They not only destroy our dinner, as you see, but they assault us in our chamber and even in our bed. We must be watched while we sleep for fear of them. Oh, but the captain jumped for joy. He remembered poor Richard Whittington and his cat and told the king he had a creature on board the ship that would rid the palace of all these vermin immediately. The king himself jumped even higher at the joy this news gave him. Bring this creature to me at once, he ordered. Vermin are dreadful, and if this cat will perform what you say, I will load your ship with gold and jewels in exchange for her. The captain, a wise businessman, took the opportunity to praise the merits of Miss Kitty. He told His Majesty, It is not in my best interest to part with her. You see, when she is gone, the rats and mice may well destroy the goods in the ship, but to oblige Your Majesty, I will fetch her. Run, run, exclaimed the Queen. I cannot wait to see this extraordinary creature. Away went the captain with his crew to the ship. While back at the palace, another dinner was being prepared. The captain put Miss Kitty under his arm and arrived at the palace just in time to see the table full of rats once again. When the cat saw them, oh, she jumped out of the captain's arms and in just a few minutes, laid almost all the rats and mice dead at her feet. The rest of them scampered away to their holes in fright. The king and queen were ecstatic. They clapped as they gave praise to the captain for introducing this fine creature. The captain then presented Miss Kitty to the queen. She will do you no harm, said the captain. Then he placed the cat down on the queen's lap where she purred and played with Her Majesty's hand, and then fell softly to sleep. The king 
having seen Miss Kitty in action and realizing that her kittens would stalk the whole country and keep it free from rats, for it appeared Miss Kitty was expecting, bargained with the captain for the whole ship's cargo, and then gave him ten times as much for the cat as all the rest of the goods. Quivering with joy, the captain took leave of the royal party and set sail with a fair wind for England. And after a smooth voyage, he and his crew arrived safe in London. Early one morning, Mr. Fitzwarren sat at his desk counting the earnings he had made the previous day. He lost count when there was a tap, tap, tap at the door. Who's there? asked Mr. Fitzwarren without getting up from his big oak desk. A friend, said a familiar voice from the other side of the door. I come to bring you good news of your ship, Unicorn. The merchant, recognizing the voice, came rushing to the door. There stood the captain and one of his men with a cabinet stuffed with jewels and a detailed list of all the goods that had been shipped and sold overseas. He then thanked the merchant for sending him on such a prosperous voyage. The captain went on to tell the story of Miss Kitty. He showed the rich present that the king and queen of Barbary had sent to Richard in exchange for her. As soon as the merchant heard this, he called out to his workers, send him in and tell him of his fame. Pray, call him Mr. Whittington by name. God forbid I should deprive him of the value of a single penny, said the ever-noble Mr. Fitzwarren to the captain. It is his own, and so he shall have it. A worker found Richard in the kitchen, scouring pots for the crabby cook. He told Richard Mr. Fitzwarren needed him in the office right away. Richard was filthy. He had soot all over him. He didn't want to go. But the merchant had summoned him, so go he did. Mr. Fitzwarren directed that a chair be set for him. Richard grew suspicious. He thought they were going to make fun of him for their amusement. He would have none of it. Do not play tricks with a poor simple boy, he said to the merchant but let me go, if you please, so I may continue my work. Mr. Whittington, said the merchant, motioning him over to sit in a chair. These gentlemen come bearing good news for you, my dear boy. The captain has informed me that he sold your cat to the king of Barbary. In return for Miss Kitty, they have for you more riches than I possess in the whole world. May you long enjoy them. Mr. Fitzwarren then told the men to open the great treasure they had brought with them. Mr. Whittington has nothing to do but put it in some place of safety, he declared. Well, Richard could hardly contain his joy. He begged the merchant to take what part of it he pleased, since he owed it all to his kindness. No, no, said Mr. Fitzwarren. This is all your own, and I have no doubt you will use it well. Next, Richard asked Mrs. Fitzwarren, and then Miss Alice, to accept a part of his good fortune. They would not. 
and at the same time they told him they felt nothing but happiness at his newfound success. But Richard was too kind-hearted to keep it all to himself, so he gave some of his riches to the captain, the mate, and the rest of Mr. Fitzwarren's workers, and even to the ill-natured old cook. Mr. Fitzwarren advised him to send for a proper tailor and get himself outfitted. He told Richard he was welcome to live in his house till he found a home of his own. When Richard Whittington's face was washed, his hair cut and curled on its own, his hat placed just right, and he was dressed in a proper suit. Why, he was as handsome and genteel as any fine young man in London. Miss Alice, who had once been so kind to him and thought of him with pity, now looked upon him as fit to be her sweetheart. They were a perfect match. Mr. Fitzwarren soon saw their love for each other and proposed that he should join them in marriage. They both readily agreed. A wedding and celebrations followed presently, with the Lord Mayor, the Court of Aldermen, the Sheriffs, and a great number of the richest merchants in London in attendance. History tells us that Mr. Whittington and his lady lived a wonderful life. They had several children. He was Sheriff of London, then Lord Mayor over three terms. He even received the honor of knighthood by King Henry V. He became so revered for his good deeds throughout his lifetime, which spanned nearly 70 years until his death in 1423, that even today there is a statue of his dear treasured cat erected in 1964, or about 600 years after the cat's birth, at Highgate Hill in Islington. But try not to caress the statue's limestone ears should you stumble upon her. They've worn down quite a bit, as would yours, I fear, if you too were constantly petted and congratulated for having done such a fine job all those centuries ago. <laughs> and now we wish you and your kitty, if you're curled up with one or two, a perfectly good night's rest. Now drift off and sweet dreams. <laughs>